Scaling brands need influencer content, but the best brands have influencer communities, which provide a constant stream of high-converting social content to test in your ads week in and week out. Access Aspire IQ's more than 6 million creators and influencers and start building your brand's influencer community today. Find out why Forrester recognized Aspire IQ as a leader in influencer marketing solutions. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. Today, I am super thrilled to have Mike Lackman, the CEO from Trade Coffee, which is a specialty subscription service offering fresh coffee from the nation's best roasters right to your door. Uh, Trade is such an interesting business to me because the way it takes an existing product and then really innovates the customer experience, the logistics and the data side uh, to create you know, amazing experiences that grow LTV like crazy and benefit the entire ecosystem. It really seems like a really interesting model for, for, for D2C in a way that helps businesses that aren't D2C even go D2C. Super exciting. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Can, you, can we chat first just a little bit about how this idea came to be? 100% thanks for having me. I, I think the idea was really simple. We noticed this unbelievable community of craft roasters. When we got to meet them and ask them what they were doing with their businesses and what sort of support they were looking for, what opportunity they saw, it was trying to find better ways to reach consumers. Opening more shops is really, really hard. They knew they had something really great to offer, um, but there wasn't a very simple way to get to more people. And then when we spent time with consumers, we learned just how much consumers had been separated from the actual coffee they were buying. So much of what made coffee good and consumer behavior was about the espresso machine or the milk or the real estate or the furniture or the music or all these other trappings and not really about the coffee. And so there was this really great opportunity to use personalization, to use a cloud-based and pretty headless supply chain approach uh, together to be able to unlock amazing consumer experiences that connect consumers to local roasters who because of that value created have a better path to growth and can invest more sustainably in their relationships with the growing partners around the world. Amazing. Can you talk a little bit more about, I want to dive into a lot of what you mentioned there, but can you talk, tell, tell me what headless means in, in the context you use it there, headless logistics. So it, it relates to, you know, if you want to use a buzzword, it kind of relates to data portability. But I think what's interesting versus where things were three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, is that integrating with a warehouse management system, hooking up a shipping rate table, being able to get folks to think about what it takes to do e-commerce shipping well. We were really fortunate in that we found this industry right at that moment when internet access, frankly, something as simple as tech literacy among the folks in operations who were packing boxes and yeah. doing work was really high. Um, and the technology required to support that with really high fidelity was just at a very low barrier compared to what three, five, 10 years ago would have been a much heavier undertaking. And so we were able to create a platform where we could understand every coffee being made across our network when it was being made and then make it really, really easy through UX that roasters wanted to use for us to be able to add consumer demand to any batch they're making. And so consumers really care about freshness and personalization. What we were able to build was a platform where we can connect roasters, not because each one's trying to be Amazon and ship everything 99.9%, .9%, but where we can have enough data that we understand which batches are being made right now and then connect the right match for a consumer that they're going to get that bag on time. It will have gotten to them two to three days off a roast. It'll be the freshest coffee they've ever had. It'll be a perfect match for the way they want it to taste. And when it shows up in a compostable bag, that bag is going to say, this coffee was made for you, which has most multiple meanings that we care a lot about. It was yeah. not only that it's personalized to your preferences, but a roaster actually stopped what they were doing and made that one bag of coffee just for you. And we can do that in a way that's sustainable and profitable for our roaster partners. P pretty badass, uh, I got to say, because you're innovating this logistics <clears throat> chain 
uh, and, and you have that whole other dimension of freshness, which is such an, an important part of, of your selling proposition, even just in all of your ads. It's like, that's the one thing you know about, about how you want your coffee. Uh, and then what I want to get into next is like, is, is your front end and how you bring people into your world. Yeah. Because everyone has all these different takes on, on what kind of coffee they like. You know, I'm an espresso man myself. I, I three shots of espresso in you know, short Americanos throughout the day space out, you know, pretty light clockwork, especially now during, during quarantine here. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's nutty or not, you know, I don't know if it's, I think it's bold, but I like, can you talk a little bit about the, the sort of flavor profiles and how you built that into the front end of the business? For sure. I mean, one of the things that really excited us was how much of a barrier there was about talking to consumers about coffee. Um, there is definitely a small population of folks that know everything about the industry, the different varietals of coffee, different parts of the world, but it's a pretty small population compared to the number of people who know a lot about beer or wine or even uh, Whole Foods or things of that nature. Um, when you ask most consumers about coffee, we've been trained to talk about the actual coffee beans like it's tobacco. People tend to say it's bold or smooth or robust or smoky or strong or mild. And the truth is that you could say almost all of those things about any of the 500 different coffees we sell, yeah. which basically means they don't mean anything. Um, our front end is built to try to run that balance of credibility for those that really care about getting it perfect and know a lot about it and accessibility for folks that are new to it, but think it's cool and they know they drink coffee and they want something better. And personalization on site is how we use technology to be able to bridge that gap where as we ask you questions, as we serve you more experiences, we can get a sense of who we're talking to. And through some very basic English questions that aren't about, you know, do you want marzipan or jam or lemon peel, but like more accessible language that, that's meaningful to you as a coffee drinker. Um, we can figure out a way to facilitate experience where it's going to be really perfect for you. We guarantee that where if you aren't perfectly matched, one of our white glove employees full-time is going to take time to marry you to a better profile. Uh, and we can do all of that sustainably because we know a lot about how each coffee tastes and how that relates to what each customer tells us about what they want. That's really the data platform of the business. That's that's a pretty important part of what we do. The flavor matrix. Uh, <laughs> the, now the quiz. I'm on your. I I just I, I love your brand. I love I love how trade. You know, it's. It, it, I'd love to talk. Can I ask you just quickly, like the the brand yeah. name? Can we can we talk a little bit about where trade came from? It's such an essential essential name. Yeah, I think it it invokes a couple different things. We definitely have a pretty strong emphasis on making sure that you can support roasters who in turn source coffee sustainably. And so while by no means do we wanna put the barrier of fair trade as a singular bar for the way our industry works, just because there are so many really small farmers involved in our supply chain, that that's not uh, a single, and frankly, so much of the coffee that's bought is at such a high premium to even fair trade prices that that's not what we wanna call it. Um, that was a word that had synonymity for consumers with uh, the way coffee's bought and having that be part of the proposition. It triggered that 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 kind of synaptic and tell some people. And that's yeah. something that was pretty exciting. And then there's also an element where our value is somewhat commercial in terms of um, what we can do to connect these businesses with consumers. And so uh, we went through all kinds of different things. Like I think there was an idea like hazel because it made people think of hazelnut. And then I think at one point we looked at like a, a concept called rooster, like about waking up. And, and I, I think there's a lot of kind of gimmicky, silly kind of fun, perky caffeine joke stuff out there. And believe me, if, if, if there's a pun out there, it's been done and trademarked. Yep. We, we decided that self-effacing was not going to be a great brand for us. And when we looked at the value we were creating, it was getting consumers to see more value in this product so that at the base of the value chain, there's more to move up to those other parties we work with. And when we looked at trade as an idea, it was just a, a kind of a word on an index card at one point. Um, it really started to emerge as something that, that invoked the kind of feelings that we wanted and we ran with it. I love it. I, I, I just, I love it's, it's an innovative, it's, you're sort of innovating it trade in a way as well too, the way that you're connecting the roasters with the, with the customers in this DTC fashion. So 
Uh, I'm a big fan of it. That was a, a bit of a brand derivation there. I want to go back to the quiz because I'm on the lander right now. Yeah. I've done a lot with quizzes. I've done back in my affiliate marketing days, we were, we were doing quizzes and, um, and you know, we did, we do a lot of, uh, you know, intake surveys uh, with the newsletter and things like that. We're, we're about to actually evolve a, a new one. I'm curious, how, how long did it take you to write the quiz? Because it's, it's a real science, I feel like, asking simple questions, as you say, in plain English that really actually give you the data that allow you to pivot your business. I think a lot of people collect data but then they don't do they don't they don't create the full matrix where they where they have a lot of actions going on the other side. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I'm gonna dodge the question and say how long did it take is is kind of a false premise because it's still taking that time. I mean yeah. we're we're constantly rewriting and refactoring this for different audiences and different circumstances. Um, and it's definitely true that for certain people they'd love to offer more input, and for other people we need to make it simpler. And we're learning more about how to do that well. Cool. Um, what is universal, and, and there's there's two things I would say about this. One, um, there's more value in getting really, really accurate flat data than in using it in ways that are really crafty. Mm. Getting the data right, flattening it, making it really accurate was probably one of the hardest things early on. And that was where we had to keep cupping and recupping. Cupping is a coffee term for like sort of analytically tasting coffee. Um, and then ascribing specific metadata to each one so it was usable. And we had to redo that for the entire assortment, I think three different times uh, at the beginning of the business, which is a pretty significant undertaking. Um, and then the second bit is thematic, which is that when you look at what we're doing, we believe that data-driven personalization is very much the future of web merchandising. And to put that a bit more simply, Websites started as online databases to replicate and expand upon paper catalogs. Yeah. How do I look through some things but find the one thing I'm looking for? And that's why things are built from categories and menus down to product listing pages, product detail pages. And then once you get something in your cart, maybe put one of these in there too, but let's get you through checkout as fast as possible. That, that's, a, that's a transactional, very often a pretty small number of items kind of an experience yep. where it really is a question of spearfishing, hunting, and pecking. What we were trying to do at Trade was understand who someone is, how they tick, understand what kind of value they're willing to ascribe to coffee and what better means for them, and then get them to subscribe to an experience, whether capital S subscribing with a subscription or just buy something and then stay engaged with us through the options that are available so that we can consistently be their source for what they need. And that's not gonna get there from like a browse and pick and shop kind of a thing. That's very much more experiential. And so in some ways you end up drawing more analogs from consumers facing software or even some SaaS businesses that have done that really, really well. Here's the, here's the reasons to ascribe value to what we do. Okay, are you in? Great, this is you using the product now. And that's very much how our site's built, which is actually kind of different from big e-commerce players like the Chewies and the Wayfarers of the world. Customer experience as a service almost, right? And not exactly, but that is sort of like you're plugging into existing industries and you're providing the entire you know, pipeline for, for growth for these roasters and for, you know, to solve a problem. Like my, my grocery store is constantly running out of my espresso. Like I go, I shop on Sundays at the wrong time. I'm not getting my espresso. I'm like, this needs to be delivered to yeah. on the daily. What I wanted to ask was about the, the, the flexibility that you have, because when you get people making choices, uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, then it, does that lock you in on the logistics side so that you have to deliver that exact thing? Like how much flexibility do you get with people on their subscriptions? I'm someone who just sure. buy my coffee. I buy it every week. I buy the same coffee. I probably would be up to take an adventure tour of espressos, but I'm wondering how many people just stick with their classics versus give you kind of full control. So more than 80% of the coffees that we ship our coffees that we pick as part of a program. And awesome. the, the jargony word for that would be substitutability. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that that has a lot of value for us in the way that we can sustain our network. So I think the balance here is understanding back to that notion of personalization, what does each person want? So forcing everyone to get tons of variety all the time, not a fit for rather many circumstances. Finding the right balance of variety and discovery and then being able to use substitutability to our advantage that's a big part of how our business works. And so let me just use a practical example that, to illustrate that. Um, one, you need to earn the trust to be able to pick for the customer. So it starts with getting it really right up front and then seeing how consumers want to engage. 
And you definitely have some who are set and forget and super, super, super loyal. And some who are really engaged and really want to tweak and mark their favorites and go back to them. So already from the start, making sure that you're able to replicate those two experiences out and then say, okay, great, here's the tools available for these folks. If someone really wants to set and forget, then we're not going to jam anything on them either. But when you have the ability to understand, not just I know every coffee being made, but I actually know for Eric, I have 17 equivalently delightful coffees, four of which didn't even exist two months ago. Yeah. And so when I'm trying to find the right thing for him, well, he actually wants coffee every 10 days based on his consumption, not every 14. Well, that means every nth coffee is coming on different days of the week. Well, this time, even though you might have said, you know what, I really love this place. I visited Chicago once. I'd love to. Well, your next coffee is going to have to ship on a Tuesday. That one particular one you really like doesn't roast until Friday. So we're going to queue that up for your next one. But next time, here's one that we think you're going to like even more. And when we can get that done really right, that's part of how we can provide what we think of as Amazon level service without trying to force our, our, our roaster partners as craft practitioners to operate like an Amazon, right? Yeah. Like, like they're not built to be that way. Trying to be better at being big than the big guys, I think is a great way to make a startup fail. It's more about being able to use the data to our advantage. And if we're gonna be in between roasters and consumers, that should be the kind of thing we're doing really well to earn that place that we serve as somebody that can provide more, better, profitable growth for roasters, but also superior experience to consumers. And in a way that they get to keep their cred as, as roasters, right? Like th that they're not like Melita on the shelf or they're not Folgers, right? They're still these classic yeah. crafty ex product experiences with great art on the packages. And, you know, it's a really, it's a real win, win, win type situation. I feel like you've orchestrated here. I, I mean, you've heard me use some wonky language here. Like, let me walk away from that for a second. The thing that was most exciting to me about this business as I learned more about it is the analogs that it has to music. I, I think these coffee bags, the journey that you take through these different places you visit, it's the closest thing that this new generation has to album covers, yeah. aside from their revisitation of album covers, which yeah. is actually making a comeback. But, vinyl, but yeah. in all seriousness, I mean, you have everything from these folks in Idaho that make this weird kind of um, uh, very psychedelic art you know, uh, the, the coffees are called super dank and, and they're all this kind of psychedelic cartoonish art to these like really precious and beautiful things from places like Nashville um, to we have a roaster in Appalachia who's the biggest employer in his town and actually runs a daycare center out of the back of the roastery. Right. Being able to be transported to all those different parts of the country, I, I really think that that is this generation's version of what coffee was 25 years ago which was about being transported to France and Italy and those kind of places. That's probably why you've been compared to the Spotify of, uh, you know, of coffee, you know, and I think that's an interesting metaphor for, for me, Spotify is the clearest example of AI that I'm just sort of like happy for that. I'm just like, you can take it all AI. You can take all this data and actually hearing you speak about the logistics of, of the business and, and how you, you, you manage varietals and, and, and variability and things like that. It's, it, I see a real comparison there as well with my coffee. I would be happy just, you know, fully just trust that to, to your database essentially. Right. Yeah. I think the, the earning trust on both sides of what we do is really important. Um, I think it's an admirable thing for us to have the aspiration to be able to do some personalization things as well as Spotify does. There are some places where I think that they can be a helpful thing for us to look at where we think about what would it look like if we did this way better. Um, it's always helpful to anchor yourself to those things. Um, but the other thing that we can do um, where data is really helpful is, and, and probably the most humbling and, and exciting thing that we heard is feedback from a roaster, which I don't know enough about the music industry to say whether this happens with Spotify or not, um, is I was really excited when we had a roaster tell us, hey, you, you gave us this data we needed to be able to get more demand on your platform, which was we didn't have any coffees that tasted like X, Y, or Z here's the data you gave us. Here's how we started making that coffee from green we already had, just roasting it differently. And we immediately saw a really positive impact in our shop at home in New York, meaning people liked this more yep. and started coming back more often. And we realized some of our really, really high-end coffees, uh, to use a beer analogy, think about like the equivalent of those Belgian sours that like really, really into it beer nuts, like, yep. but you can't serve that stuff in a ball game, right? Um, 
making it easier for them to understand exactly what it would mean to make a coffee that met with their values and their brand, but that could be more accessible. And then seeing that data immediately improve not only their sales with trade, but their home business. That's a really, really cool way to use that for something more than, oh, we, we do bidding on Google and we have an e-com plugin or something. Like, like, like yeah. it, it should be bigger than that. And I think in our first couple of years, we're finally starting to see that it can be. It just creates that really positive feedback loop through the entire ecosystem. It's funny, as opposed to you keep, you're not, you, you brought up Amazon a few times as being an anti-Amazon. Amazon would just maybe copy that and come up with their own products, right? And they'd start, start roasting their own beans to those flavor profiles. Uh, whereas you're really invested in these companies, the stories of these roasters, that was something else I wanted to bring up a little bit was these, I, I feel like yeah. for those people who are, you know, there's people who are set up, forget it. They're probably not coming to your website very much, but for the people that want to know the story of, of these beans and these roasters, I bet that's an avid part of your content as well. Well, listen, I think that we are very much a digital product. A lot of what we think about is digital. Let's make no mistake. It's a physical product. Our average frequency is about 16 days yeah. and our retention rates are really good. So we have very many customers handling an experience with us in person very often. And the read rate on a package that you send someone to their house is nearly 100%. So more than anything else, we're a physical products company. Yep. And when you get those experiences, it's not just the stuff that hits in the CRM systems we've built where the text and the email and all those different touch points are giving you that content linking back into a blog post. It's also that that bag can do a lot of the talking. Our packaging has messages in there. Each one of those touch points carry a lot of weight in the way that we engage with the consumer. And frankly, I think if you ask where we see things going, making the most of that more effectively as we grow and add some resources to the company is probably going to be a big part of how you see us in rich experiences so that we continue to like folks who've been around for a year or two and have already gotten 30, 40, 50 bags of coffee from us. Love it. Okay, let's talk about subscription a little bit because you know I'm on your site here and I see my initial purchase on on Trade Coffee is I was at eight or nine dollars with with a fifty percent option on my first bag. So when you're dealing with you know we're you know we, we mm -hmm. as a as an agency we're we love those hundred hundred fifty dollar CPAs you know those those higher achievable ones. You're rocking an eight dollar CPA, but you've built up all these retention methods, so you're you're confident in your customer LTV. Can you talk a little bit about? Uh, how you've thought about the subscription market? Yeah, happy to. Um, and I think when we think about that, we know that we are pushing the limits of what's possible from uh, an average order size, average basket size, OV, whatever you want to call it, perspective. And, and my joke about this is that I don't know that anybody's ever going to do this with mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't know that we're going to see like a $6 average order value. So, and I, I've definitely probably been the kind of person who would have said five, 10 years ago, I don't think that 13 or 15 or $18 an order is going to be possible, but we're proving that it can be. Yeah. Um, the way we think about subscription is, is pretty simple. First, um, you know, no BS. There's no lock it in and get this, but then you have to call like those days are over. This is the old, evolution, digital evolution on top of BMG and Columbia house kind of pay a penny and then get 12 CDs. And now you're paying 10 bucks a month and all like th that's out. So let's take that off the table and remove that from the subscription conversation. Um, take some more stuff out. Let's never do anything of the month or club. Take all those words. If any of that ever applies to what we're doing, also take us out of that. A jelly of the month club for us is not a, a large business. No. It's a cool gift for certain kinds of people, but it's not the way that you consume this category. It's not yes. a trusted partner for you. And that's what we want to become as a company and as a brand. So let's take that out. Um, and then I, I think that the, the final piece is when you look at where subscriptions can be a bit evil or intimidating or problematic for consumers, it's where people are afraid they're going to have to pay for stuff they don't want. And so I think when you look at all that and then you try to build a really great experience, it's really just schedules. And schedules, when they're done right, allow us to serve customers really well in a way that's friendly to them. And there's going to be ways that we continue to use them in our experiences as we grow. And so it's not about being locked into the club or something along those lines. I, and people ask, well, could you charge so much per month for this and that? I don't think that there's a large market in us charging people a fee to be able to pay full price for a coffee. 
Yeah. Like for perspective, when I think about subscriptions and where they're going, Disney had to be Disney and then buy all of Star Wars, Marvel, and Fox for like, what, $45, $80 billion to charge eight bucks a month. Yeah. So, 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 so no, like we're probably not going to charge $5 a month for the privilege of shopping at trade. That's not where this is going. So if you can take all that kind of like, frankly, lousy subscription stuff out, what you're left with is somebody where it's, this is better for you. Why? Because you'll never run out. Guess what? Made yesterday in Idaho, in New York City, tomorrow does not exist. For a $14 product, you might as well be beaming it to Mars. So if you want almost still hot, it's so fresh from parts of the country I haven't been and the very best brands, and it's guaranteed to be a perfect coffee for me, we need like five or six days. Yeah. And if you give us like five or six days, we can do that with free shipping and nail it every time. And, and that's really what subscription does for us. Frankly, if, if you don't need it with that much notice, a lot of our customers buy a la carte and any time that you've bought within the last 30 days, you get subscription pricing and free shipping anyway. Just and so around. for a consumer, no yeah, kidding. and what you basically need is at least to know about five or six days before you really need it that you want to order it. And lots of people probably push it more to like day two or day three, yeah. which we just aren't quite smart enough yet to figure out how to do it in two or three days lead sustainably. But as we get there, you'll probably find that we open up even more opportunities for people to buy really frequently without necessarily being subscribed. It's just frictionless. That's what I love about it. It's, it really kind of fades the way that you're doing it without the monthly fee or these other things. It's sort of just, it fades into the background unless people experience the, the product in an optimum way that just makes their lives better. I would say it would it benefits you that you're selling a drug, first of all. That, that, that That's a benefit is that you, in terms of LTV, that you're selling something that people love and that really they, they build into a, a ritualistic fashion in, in your life, in their life. Another thing that you have, you said that one of the things that, that was interesting is I think one of the big fears of subscriptions is when stuff piles up, you, you know, just like, just like mm -hmm. Columbia, just like Columbia CDs in that box in my garage. Uh, you know, they just, just take up space. And if you've got a, a, a shipload of, of uh, you know, frozen steaks coming your way and that starts backing up, there's an issue there. But with coffee, I feel like because you're always operating at this fresh, highly consumable, you know, category, like that's another advantage in, in the space. Well, let's back up for a second, right? And I can answer both of those, but I, I want to push back on, on the first one, which yeah. is I actually really hate the whole coffee as a drug thing. Okay. Because the truth is that coffee as drugs are everywhere. You can get pounds of it really cheap, lots of different places if you just want the jitters, right? If you want to stay awake for your midterms, yep. lots of opportunities to get caffeine. We do well as a business when we sell coffee that people can ascribe above commodity value to because they see value in what we see value in, which are these promises of personal local discovery. It's personalized to exactly how you want it. It's from a local roaster helping a local business. And there's no element of discovery involved, whether that's new flavors or brands you'd never heard of or parts of the country, parts of the world on the origin side, doing all those things the right way. When people ascribe real value to that and they really want it to be fresh, that's where we succeed and we have these really durable lifetime values. Well, that whole thing falls apart if you care that it's fresh. If there's three of them backed up in your cabinet and one of them is already two months old. What's the point of getting it to me five or six days off a roast if I can't drink it for four or five weeks? Yeah. Um, I think when you look at it through that lens, it's really just a question of trying to figure out the right balance of how much information consumers feel comfortable giving us in a variety of different meeting environments, by which I mean like when you meet them online, what kind of funnel they go through. Uh, you could ask them a thousand questions, you wouldn't get very many people through the funnel, but you get a lot of information. Um, how can we find that right balance so that we can serve people exactly what they need? And I think the second level is, Unlike Spotify, where the variable cost to serve is so low that somebody thumbs downing something or saying, I wouldn't have wanted this is really cheap. Any bad experience is really costly for us. So how can we be smart enough with segmentation and clustering and those sorts of things that when we do get a skin knee or make a mistake, that one kind of lesson we learned the hard way can apply to 100 other people, 500 other people, 5,000 other people. And as we grow, how can we get smarter and smarter about understanding where a mistake can be a learning, but not 
okay, now I know that Eric didn't like this thing. Let me fix it for Eric next time. But how do I know in that particular circumstance, the 1800 other customers who have a particular thing in common with Eric, so that one mistake can train us so we don't have to learn that again with those other thousands of people. And all your other roasters too, you know, the, the full the full cycle yeah. of, of knowledge going through there. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you, you talked about skin knees there. You know, in the subscription game, what are what are some mistakes that you can point to that you made early on in, in the subscription game? So, uh, one one thing would be, especially early in a business, um, you're trying really hard to learn and pivot quickly, and the speed with which you're learning about acquisition, conversion rates, all the how many people are getting their journey started stuff is really, really fast. And frankly, we even have some of the fastest cohort feedback of any subscription you're going to find because the frequency is so high. Yeah. But what you have to be a little bit careful of is that you don't jam people with too much merch in the first 90 days. And one of the things we responded to early on with one of our uh, subscription offerings that's built around accessibility was consumers told us where they were comfortable paying for coffee. And we knew that somewhere in between that like 12 and $15 price point was a big deal. And what we did was we followed that a little too closely and did a lot of sales of this two pack for $25 because it allowed us to profitably for us and our roaster get to that 1250 price point where we couldn't want at a time based on the cost of shipping. Yep. On the um, purchase, which is good. Yeah. Well, and what we tried to do was then give them a trial bag and then a two pack for everybody. And what we found was that the two pack was really alienating for a lot of people. Yes, like a very significant plurality of people wanted to find a way to get coffee for $12.50 a bag, but there was a really large constituency of people who really did not want two at a time. Mm. Especially early on, if there was a problem with the flavor match, now you had two bags of it. Like there were a whole bunch of things that were challenging. And so understanding how to make sure the tail doesn't wag the dog on that sort of stuff is really important. So that, I would say that's a lesson where we probably had four to six months of cohorts where we had really strong early signs because the AOVs were higher, that yeah. these were going to be great cohorts, but their kind of post four or five month retention didn't do as well. Um, and that's something that we've learned from a lot. That, that was a really important learning lesson. Frankly, if there's one that we could go back and redo, we would have pivoted around the early signs of those challenges faster Yeah, when we got that rolling. And I, I, one thing is your business seems to do really well is, is deal with, with customers, like, you know, where they're at, like, again, we're trying to be such a, a transparent and useful service. There's just, there's no room for, you know, ex that, that external marketing idea of like, let's just get that shopping cart size up because it just doesn't work with their lives. It, it doesn't, doesn't jive with the brand. A hundred percent. And I think when you talk about the service side, I find it funny in that 20 years ago, you had people like the late Tony Shea talking about services differentiator. And then it got to be so table stakes that people stopped talking about it. We're, we're coming back around now and consumers are again now surprised that anybody actually answers the phone quickly. <laughs> and so I think um, it's kind of ex exciting to see us almost going back to the late nineties, early two thousands, where you can differentiate yourself on service where I think that the D to C and, and online is actually losing a bit of its edge on that in the competitive set. And we see that as an opportunity to step on the gas and use things like AI to be smarter about more transactional conversations where we can get faster answers at all times of the day to people, but then be able to um, use the human talent that we have, very many of whom are actually really well qualified coffee professionals to answer their, those questions that people might ask that don't fit the way that we've merchandised so that not only can we sustain that customer's lifetime value, but then also learn more from a product perspective about the way that we need to evolve the tool so that where consumers choose for it to be so, it can be more self-service. Nice. I wanted, I, I do want to do a little, a few things on AI, potentially blockchain. I've got to get the buzzwords in there. But I, you were just talking about your growth a little bit there first. And I, I you know, in the pre-interview, you picked up some incredible stats about your organic to in non-organic growth. Can you talk a little bit about how the business has, has grown in, you know, in the beginning and how you want to grow it in the future? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the stat I'm most proud of is that um, obviously we, we had some, some, uh, some tailwinds from the shift toward the home uh, in, in 2020. But what didn't come naturally was 
the increase we were able to drive as we built out our brand more effectively, as we hired some talent at the exec level that was really awesome on the branding side, um, that we were able to push the percentage of people who said they heard about us from a friend in our attribution model from I call it five or 10% to more like 20 or 25%, even as the scale went up, as that bar actually gets higher. Amazing. And so when you look at a, at a $17 average order, we're going to have more customers per dollar revenue than almost anybody out there. Mm. And so they better be awesome at evangelizing the brand. We need to be better at that than anybody because we really need that to make our model work. And so I would say that's the first thing that, how, that we saw work for us there. do that? Can you talk a little bit about like what you put into place, what this, or, you know, like, yeah, how, how, how that happened? So, and to be a little used car salesman here, I, mean, I would say the tactics are icing, yeah. but like the experience is cake. Yep. The vast majority of how we did it was we follow the things that made retention better because the best sign that people really liked it was that they kept doing it. And so when we made a better product, people who loved coffee were more willing to talk about it. Now, tactically, we've done some things where we shifted from like a, you get two bucks and they get three bucks, kind of like little gimmicky stuff to, you know what, we're gonna give you a finite number of free bags that you can give to friends. You can't give a million of them, but you can give a couple. And once you've had a few orders with us, you can give a couple friends a free bag of coffee. Well, that notion of like qualifying friction, yeah, it's a free trial and, and, and you wouldn't want to just put that on a sandwich sign and walk around Midtown with it. But what you can do is when someone personally says, I only get three of these or five of these, hey, Eric, I know you love coffee. You got to try this thing out. That actually carries a lot of benefit with it. And while those customers aren't quite as high value as the folks that we pay full dollar for through paid media, um, given that there's no media costs there, they're actually really surprisingly loyal. So that was a good example of like a tactic that we use to amplify those things. That's really cool. It all starts with just making the experience really, really good. How do you get that second person to have the experiences as well? Is it, does it come down to your product packaging? Does it come to, is it, is it a follow-up email? Like how does that actually work? Yeah. Well, this is what's really cool about the product, which is it's really, really hard to give coffee. In fact, when we started asking people about coffees that they've received as gifts, a disproportionate amount of it was getting thrown in the trash. Yeah, they don't give me espresso. I don't drink. I don't drink drip, so it just sits. That's in my, right. It sits in my cupboard. They don't. It's either not. And, and by the way, one thing for you would be you'd be surprised at how many amazing espressos are called espressos. But um, or frankly, how many things that are called espressos make great drip coffee? It, it's 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 more of a, an editorial distinction. But. But no, I just I think, like a meter on my, as long as I can get that meter high pressure and high enough, the oils are right. As long as I can get that right, that's all I care about. Well, and, that, and that's the point of personalization is we got to bring you coffees regardless of what they're called. Or frankly, if you just want ones that are called espresso, we can do that too. And that's part of knowing your customer. But, um, but no, I think that the challenge here is if you don't know how the other person wants it to taste, frankly, if you don't know whether they have a grinder, you're sort of at a loss. If they have a grinder, the last thing you want to do is send it to them pre-ground. And if you send it to the pre-ground and it's for the wrong machine type, it's basically useless. So we invested pretty early on in the ability to send someone what is effectively a personalized gift where they can redeem and then go through that whole personalization experience, but then be given a fixed number of coffees. And that notion of portability is a big part of how we not only did things like organic referral where you could give your friend a free bag, but it's not here's this bag you can have. Um, it was more, they're going to personalize a bag for you. Love it. When you talk about how cool it is to have all these different brands, one challenge of that is that it makes a lot of Instagram influencer tactics and things like that a lot harder because our coffee is not just the bag. If they happen to get a certain coffee, Stay Golden from Nashville, for example, their Instagram post might look like an ad for Stay Golden which really is not the service. So how do you do all that? that? That portability of the quiz is something that's been really useful for us around those tactics. Um, does everyone but, go but again, does everyone, oh, sorry, go ahead. does everyone who goes through Trade Coffee go through the quiz? A very large majority. Uh, you, you'd be surprised actually, you can start a quiz from a coffee. So it's a little bit like Spotify in that way that you can tell Spotify what you're in the mood for, or you can just start a station from a song. You can say, if I know I really like this coffee, I can just start 
a journey with this coffee. And we already have basically all the same data points about that coffee that we would gather from a quiz mm. and we can interpolate the one onto the other. So like, those are things we can do, but definitely the, the overriding message is that we could have taken all of those playbook tactic kind of things and put them in place. The biggest drivers of what made that change were just identifying what we call like high value activities from a retention perspective and just making those better so that people enjoy the product more. Love it. What's your, how do you take coffee? I make drip coffee yeah. pretty much every morning, um, either, either with a pour over or with a, with a drip coffee machine. Um, I like it. I, I, I'm probably now a little less citrusy than I was a year ago when I was new to it. Um, and what's really exciting is we're just getting into cold brew season. Mm. Um, next week, we're launching our, our new cold brew campaign where for the first time ever, we're doing a larger bag of coffee. We're going to be shipping two pound bags. And we came out with our own proprietary cold brew bags, which are cornstarch bags in which you can make amazing cold brew overnight. And in a couple months, I'm gonna, we're, my, my household will probably shift over to be mostly cold. And what, what's really cool about that is rather than saying, how do you make your coffee? We have an opportunity to say to people, both existing customers and new customers, hey, you can actually make your own cold brew. And so rather than looking like a crazy person loading up like 17 bottles of RTD at the grocery store that each cost four bucks and checking them out all one at a time, you can actually just put freshly roasted coffee in one of these bags that we include with the subscription oh, nice. and throw it in any kind of pitcher overnight. And the next morning you have probably the best cold brew you've ever tasted. It's exactly. really, really, really chocolatey. If folks are trying to get away from milk or sugar or those kind of things, it's an amazing way to get these really intense, sweet flavors in a way it's totally calorie neutral. I'm sold. Uh, okay, so back to growth just quickly here. Yeah, a quarter from organic referrals, which is amazing. Uh, how does how does Facebook play in your strategy? Uh, how how invested are you guys in, in Facebook ads? Call it twenty-five to forty percent, depending on the month and the season. We like to think it's a pretty healthy part of the distribution. We also probably have some more room to grow on the creative side. We've always been a pretty scrappy business. And so I think if anything, it's not to say that we want to become less diversified, but we just still see more opportunity there as we get more sophisticated in our approach to the channel. But definitely would never we don't have any plans for it being more than half the half the half the cocktail anytime soon. I was wondering if you'd ever thought this might be too nitty gritty for you, but if you'd ever, do you ever uh, pixel audiences based on their, their, their profiles with as, as customers? Like obviously you, you would pixel the, That's a great question. the higher LTV people, but I'm wondering if there's like, you'd show someone a more robust bag or a more citrusy bag or something like that. So we've tried a lot of those things. And while I wouldn't say that we've proven all this out yet in a way it's transferable, what I've deduced as kind of a, a truism of how to approach this is that um, Facebook loves to give you those little hooks where they make you feel as a marketer like you can be a bit smarter. Yes. And the challenge is that they charge you a lot of money to use that knowledge. We have historically tended to be more successful when we can speak to a pretty broad psychographic interest and that our calls to action can, if not be universally true across the whole company, really very broadly true to a pretty big segment within our common psychography that we're trying to reach, and then use the site to do the personalization on our side. If you try to do too much of the refining on their side, every additional cut you take that makes that audience a little smaller and more specific, you're paying for in CPM. Yep. Conversely, our whole on-site experience is all built around speaking to lots of different people and landing each of them in the right place one at a time, even if those places are very different. And so all things equal, we'd rather do the personalization on our side. And the nice thing is that as we grow, those broad audiences can become a little more specific over time, but it's not a case, if anything, I think that some of that thinking invokes more of where I think the industry was three or four or five years ago. Mm. But now that everyone has access to those tools, the cost of of using them prolifically has just gotten really prohibitive. And that's where broader audiences with more universal messages that are then refined and personalized on site 
has been uh, has been a more successful tactic for us. It just gives you guys such such a good uh, you know the quiz is, is such a powerful thing because especially with iOS fourteen coming and 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 some of these these uh, advanced targeting abilities potentially being degraded, like the fact that you yeah. have this on site experience where people are giving you data about stuff that they love, they're giving you their email address, like. That's, that's that sort of uh, garden that you've created there, I think will serve you well, regardless of what happens with platforms, which is cool. Yeah, and it, listen, everything's data dependent. It's not to say that we aren't always testing those things too. And when we have rich campaigns, they're a mix of those different oper opportunities. And we're always being meritocratic and trying to find a way to see which ones are gonna work. What I would say that that approach loses though, and I'm too young to have old wisdom, but within like e-commerce, I think let's just call anything more than 10 or 15 years ago old. Yep. The, the one thing that I have come around to is that Facebook's really good at knowing one specific thing, which is what kind of people tend to spend your AOV in your category. They can have a million different things in common. If you don't know whether or not they actually spend the kind of money that you want to charge, you probably don't know who you're talking to. And the one thing that Facebook has that's really powerful is they know who tends to spend money at 8 a.m. And that's why they charge so much for access to the data. Um, I, I think that's easily lost sometimes. And to the extent that it probably always will be some part of the mix, you can go nuts. I mean, frankly, we spent a lot of energy a year and a half ago trying to go farther up the funnel with our pixel feedback around, let's just look at quiz answers. We get a lot more quiz answers than raw conversions. And, and when you remove that qualifying nature of people who purchased and what they have in common, you lose a lot of fidelity in the way that you build those loops around, around what your objectives are with those programmatic bidding platforms. I don't think it's just Facebook, it's others as well, but Facebook is yeah. probably the best example of it. Knowing whether these are the kind of people who spend your average basket size in your category is a really valuable thing. And ascribing value to that when you're looking at your marketing mix, I think is pretty important. Cool. All right, last question, and it is—it's just one of those random ones. When when I when I hear you talking about your logistics chain and the the you know the authenticity of that whole process, it makes it does make me think of blockchain. Not not, and I'm I'm wondering—is that something that's entered your thinking in, in how this business is built? Is there a time where 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 coffee will be on the blockchain? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is it's not on our, our on our immediate roadmap. It's it's an interesting thing to think about. It makes me think a little bit like blockchain and AI. I heard a good joke, which is that uh, some of that stuff is like teenage sex. Uh, everyone says they're doing it. Most actually aren't. And the ones who are aren't doing it that well yet. That's uh, and I think it's there's a little bit of that going on. Um, when we've heard folks ask about it, it, it's been less because it solves a particular problem in our industry than because it seems like the kind of thing that's about to happen to our industry. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and so I would say we've been open to some pretty cool and and some pretty emergent stuff and when it solves a big problem that we have um then then i think it's going to be really really helpful for us to invest there but for now um we've been, we've been able to we've been able to be really choosy about who we work with we work with awesome roasters who each have their own approach to sourcing and sustainability and we're more in a place of stepping back and creating really clear access to their story on how they source and roast how they employ sustainably in their local communities here in the US where they do their roasting production and shipping, um, then trying to be smarter than the folks at higher levels in the industry who are trying to show you every step the bean took from X to Z to X to Y to Z. Um, we think that a better spotlight on letting craft be craft and tell you how they source, what their direct relationships are, frankly, Equator Coffee in San Francisco who we're working with, they're, um, they're, uh, they're in the Bay Area, they're actual roasteries in San Rafael, but uh, they actually own one of the farms that they've sourced through. Uh, so I think there's so many different approaches that trying to reduce it all down to a blockchain equation is probably the wrong move for us today. It's more about actually giving each one of those bespoke approaches the right sunlight so that consumers can have a discovery of not only different roasters and different roasts, but different approaches to how they source coffee and how their dollars can move up the value chain to help the folks that they're working with. I can't help but think of, of, of any other industries where this kind of thinking uh, around just sort of innovating the logistics, innovating the actual, you know, this end to end, you know, process you've done. Can you think of any other industries where this kind of stuff is being done? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I, definitely when you look at um, 
staying within, if you want to talk about innovating on the logistics side of things, when you look at what's changing with access to uh, e-commerce and 3PL and those kinds of things, whether it's companies like Flex that have done a nice job now of making it easier to get access to shipping for folks that want to be able to hook that up to their Shopify site, yeah. or you even look at the early seeds of fulfillment by Amazon where they made it easier for marketplace players to list their products, going all the way back to eBay, where it's, well, why do I need to be in a warehouse if there's people who have merch, I can authenticate it digitally and then help them put that in the mail. Mm -hmm. um, it's really just a question of looking at the steps in between uh, a source and a consumer and then finding the best way to make all these things come together. And again, we were at this point where a cloud 3PL platform that also included some really specific stuff to help roasters work more efficiently and do e-com well so they could make money on it, pulling all that stuff together for roasters could create an awesome consumer outcome that would put us in a position to be able to build a business that created meaningful and profitable demand for our roaster partners. Cool. Do you want to shout out your 3PL? Do you have, a, do you have an external 3PL or is it one that you guys have built internally? No, we don't. I mean, everything is made on demand. There's no brown inventory kept in our supply chain. And so perfect example of that, and apologies we didn't go over that in more detail earlier. Right? When you get coffee next week from say metric in Chicago, that morning, yep. Metric is going to take oh, green coffee that they may have sourced two, three, four months ago, make your bag as part of a batch that they're going to make today, get it in the mail by three or four o'clock, and you're going to have it in two to four days in most of those cases. And so that's where there's no cost of shipping and reshipping, and we're adding incremental volume to a run that a roaster's already told us that they want to make. And as we get a bit smarter, we can give them more and more insights about what supply and demand really looks like on both the price value and on the flavor side of all the different coffees that they have at the green level and can turn into roasted coffee through the process of, of roasting, which is where their art lies. And, and that's the real beauty of it that we didn't even touch on was just the breakage. The fact that you're, all this stuff is made to order. You just, it's like, that's a huge problem in e-commerce is, is people producing too much and having to mark it down on their shelves and everything. So it's that as, as a final note, I think that's a really cool aspect of what you're doing as well, it, that you're solving that issue, everything, you're, you're making a lot less waste. It, it's certainly a big part of how we make that smaller order size work, which is, okay, well, you know what we're not going to do is we're not going to build warehouses and try to do everything just in time and hold a lot of inventory. How can we look at the beauty of this industry, which is that none of these roasters hold brown coffee. Everything is made and shipped because freshness is so important. If we can use the right e-com tactics and the right 3PL technology to be able to empower them with the kind of things that tend to go with larger enterprise size, giving them that empowerment something that works not only as part of our value chain, but can help them be more effective as businesses. And when we can do both of those things well, we can earn what we need to, to be able to provide a great service from the consumer for the consumer, which again, if I can say one thing to close things out here, everything starts with getting them to ascribe more value really often to this coffee not to the, the drink or the music that was playing at the time or the milk that was put in it, but those coffee beans. They're this really important, really special thing that was sourced really thoughtfully, made really beautifully, and delivered fresh. When we can get them to ascribe that value really often at large scale, there's an amazing way for a lot more people like our roasters and their growing partners to participate profitably and to grow. Love it. Now, if you're listening to this, you want to go to drinktrade.com right now. You can uh, take the quiz and get 50% off your first bag. Uh, tell them D2C sent you. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on the D2C podcast today, Mike. This was really interesting. I, I, I look forward to kind of keeping up with trade uh, and seeing where you take it. I'm going to be, uh, you don't, you're not in Canada, obviously, yet, but, uh, but when you are, I'll be getting on that cold brew subscription, I think. Oh, and definitely check us out. It launches Thursday. We, we, we didn't have the temerity to launch cold brew on April Fool's Day because we think that, that uh, people think we were joking. But no, check us out next week when we launch our cold brew program. It's really exciting. It's going to be a great program for the summertime. Awesome. Okay. Have a great weekend, man. Thank you, Eric. Bye, Mike. Bye.